Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> the title of the talk is This Precious Opportunity. I want to start off the talk by sharing a story of somebody who I've gotten to know this year that's really touched me. It's a woman in her 30s um, who's given me permission to share her story uh, very generously and uh, I'll call her Rita, but it's, it's not her real name. Um, she is the uh, youngest of eight. She, um, growing up, uh, her father was an alcoholic uh, for the first five years of her life. And then he, um, thankfully, um, became sober uh, Although, besides going through those first five years, he was also a, quite a, a rigid uh, man who um, liked things his way. Um, with eight kids, uh, it was pretty chaotic in the house, as you can imagine. And uh, the mother um, tried to keep some semblance of order um, through um, corporal punishment, <clears throat> and lots of corporal punishment, uh, usually with a, a wooden spoon, as, as Rita has shared with me. And um, being the youngest, uh, sometimes it can, it can unfold that the, most of the difficulties and kinks are kind of worked out on the, the trailblazers and the the youngest has it um, a bit easier, but it can also work the other way, which was the case in Rita's uh, situation where the accumulated violence um, just was passed down and she actually became the, the main target uh, as, as she became old enough um, and um, led a, a pretty traumatized childhood. Her, her older brother, um, one particular older brother, uh, did um, regularly would beat her up. And, um, and that was just something that was part of, of her life. And, and an older sister also um, would would regularly verbally abuse her. Um, she was the target. And, and the other ones had their own ways of uh, expressing their anger. Mm. And uh, at the age of 14, she had another uh, pretty traumatic experience when uh, she was at a party with um, somebody that... Uh, she was there with this young 
boy that she liked and um, and they were in another room and um, uh, everybody at the party was outside the door and kind of egging him on from behind the door to to get it on with her and she was she was raped uh, and uh, not only that but it was uh, it got around and that was uh, that definitely affected her reputation as a as an easy girl, and she was rejected by a lot of her friends, uh, the boy, uh, pretty soon after, and uh, some of her family, too. So, not a very happy picture. And now, uh, Rita is um, quite an extraordinary being. She's deeply spiritual, has done lots of practice. Uh, She somehow came through that fire with um, a real light and a radiance. And people are drawn to her. She loves playing the banjo. She loves being silly. She loves having fun. She feels really good about who she is. She's uh, gone through a lot of training with uh, trauma work, uh, her own personal training, and also um, applying that training to work with others who, um, who've been through trauma and is a really uh, wonderful healing field of energy. And her, her greatest joy is in helping others to see their own goodness and well-being within themselves. And she says she's by far the healthiest mentally, emotionally, spiritually of any of her siblings, um, many of whom have um, a really hard time relating to, uh, to others with empathy and understanding. And she says, when she was first telling me her story, she said, I'd never trade places with my brothers and sisters. Who would have thought I was the lucky one? That in the end, looking back on it, I got the best deal of all. How is that possible? How is it possible that some people encounter suffering, many people encounter suffering and become bitter or stuck or fearful or pass on what they've received in terms of of negative energy and actions And others somehow mysteriously awaken through their suffering and become forces of healing and love and compassion and wisdom. It's amazing, isn't it? I look at my own my own uh, childhood and um, 
very insecure, very confused, lots of fear. Um, somehow I got through, got through that and, and then uh, in my 20s, you know, still very, very insecure and very confused. And I grew up in the 60s, uh, which has its own set of unique opportunities. And I was walking through a minefield of trouble that somehow, and I did some crazy things, somehow I got through it, and some of my friends did not get through it. Somehow I got through it and found the Dharma and have this amazingly blessed life. And I was just nonchalantly saying, hey, this is cool, that's cool. I really, I pinch myself just about mentally every day saying, wow, how did that happen? We, we might think we know what the script will be that will bring us happiness. You know, oh, wouldn't it be great to have fame? Wouldn't it be great to be adored by millions? Wouldn't it be great to have a lot of money, fame and fortune? And when you look at it, the people who are rich and famous, it's not always an easy trip. I just recently saw um, the movie My Week with Marilyn. You see that movie? It was, it was really, it was really uh, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot. And I remember Marilyn Monroe. You know, if, you were old, if you're old enough, you remember Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> who is this really sweet, confused being who had the good karma to be just outrageously beautiful and the price that she paid for that. Huge. Or Michael Jackson is another one. Just so incredibly talented and such a distorted life. Fame and fortune you know, and the thing I, I think about with Michael Jackson, what, what really was his, the end of his life, he couldn't sleep. He was just so tormented, he couldn't sleep. It was just, it was just a hell realm. You know, that's why he begged to have the, the drugs to put him to sleep. And so you look on that, delightful script, fantastic script, and how much dukkha. And then I think of some other examples like um, Aung San Suu Kyi in, in under house arrest for 15 years, you know, not able to live a life or see her, see her loved ones. <clears throat> or Nelson Mandela in Robbins Island for 27 years and now just expressions of inspiration 
and that have somehow come through their suffering, not only unscathed, but, but shining examples of human potential. Those are extreme cases, but just looking at your own life, we all have stories to tell, I'm sure. Every one of us, of our sufferings, of our challenges, of our um, dark nights. Maybe there were points in your life that it could have gone any way any direction and somehow here you are everything in your life has led you to being here all of us practicing the dharma together isn't that amazing just invite you just to make it relevant to you just to look back at your life and look at the minefields that you might have been walking or the things that have happened that could have steered you in a very different direction that somehow have become part of your journey of awakening. And just reflecting on the amazing grace of that. Amazing grace. Wow, here we are. So, um, just why are some guided in the right direction or hear the call? Who's writing the script anyway? How does that work? Don't wait for me to give you an answer. the The Buddha did say, if you try to figure out how karma works, it is one of the the four imponderables. Unless you go crazy, the the four imponderables which you'll go crazy thinking about. He said, and I I don't want to add a fifth that'll make you go crazy wondering what the other three are. So, just for your insight. The, the other three, besides how karma works and why something happens here and, and ends up in this result there, are um, how it all started. Even, how did the Big Bang start? What was, if, if scientists know, oh, the Big Bang, that was the start of it. Well, what was before the Big Bang? How did the Big Bang start? Anyway, how it all started, the range of a mind in the deepest states of absorption and the range of a Buddha mind, that it's, it's inconceivable to, for most humans to understand those things. And one of them is the, the workings, the intricate workings of karma. But... <clears throat> We have been blessed. We have been amazingly blessed. And I wanted to, to read a little bit from the Discourse on Blessings, the Mangala Sutta, 
particularly a couple of these blessings. I'll read a few of them. These blessings supreme, the Buddha was asked, what are the blessings supreme? To associate not with the foolish, to be with the wise. That's a blessing supreme. To reside in a suitable location. To have good past deeds done. To be well-spoken, highly trained, well-educated. Outstanding behavior, blameless action, selfless giving. To be reverent and humble, content and grateful. These are all blessings, blessings supreme. But here's the two that I wanted to particularly underscore. To hear the Dharma at the right time. This is a blessing supreme. And to discuss or practice the Dharma at the right time. This is a blessing supreme. This will lead to realizing the noble truths and nirvana, the blessing supreme. So here we are having our own stories, our own journeys, whether it's anything like Rita or our own version of a mysterious journey. And somehow we've had the good karma to have circumstances that are probably pretty fortunate. If you think of the, the whole possibility of the human experience, this is a pretty blessed, fortunate group. No matter what has happened to you, here we are at Spirit Rock, able to take a month off from our lives because we've been touched by the Dharma. Because we realize that there's more to life than getting as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Pretty blessed to hear the Dharma and practice the Dharma at the right time. This is a blessing supreme. And it, it shows you that no matter what you've gone through, like Rita, no matter what you've gone through, that when you are fortunate enough to be exposed to teachings that can somehow make sense out of it, that all of that pain and suffering and sorrow can be transmuted into compassion and wisdom and an offering to others. There's one wonderful teaching I love in, in, uh, in the Pali Canon uh, that the Buddha talks about called Transcendental Dependent Arising. Maybe some of you are familiar with this, where he says, instead of going around and around on the wheel of samsara, the wheel of dependent origination, it starts off with the end of that wheel where 
suffering, old age, sickness, and death. He just conflates into suffering, combines into suffering. Suffering can be the causative factor for faith to arise. Let me ask you, how many people have come to Dharma practice wanting to find an answer to suffering in their life? Just a little show of hands. Okay. Well, that's how it works. That instead of it just making us feel small and contracted and fearful, suffering can shake us out of our complacency to ask very deeply, what is it all about? How can I find meaning in this unreliable, unstable life? So suffering can lead to faith. Faith can, not necessarily, but can be a causative factor for faith. Faith can be a causative factor for gladness to arise. Gladness can lead to joy. Joy can lead to happiness and contentment, which can lead to equanimity and peace, which can lead to the highest freedom. So, if our suffering has somehow led us to try to understand, make sense of life, and in our good fortune been exposed to the Dharma and teachings and been able to practice it, um, this is a rare opportunity not to take lightly. And I wanted to share about some different ways that we can be inspired to, um, to practice that are fuel for our, um, for our awakening. This one list that I want to share with you, it's, it's not as well known a list as uh, some of the other classical ones. It's the list of um, the four idipadas, which um, is a part of a, a larger list, the list being the 37 requisites for enlightenment, okay, for those left-brain-oriented people. Most of all the other ones you're probably quite familiar with, the Eightfold Path, the seven factors of enlightenment, the five spiritual faculties, which also become the five spiritual powers, the four foundations of mindfulness, the four wise efforts. I think that's coming up to, that's 33. And these four, the four idipadas, or the four what are called bases of success, bases of power, that uh, correspond to different temperaments that people have that become the kind of juice for them to practice. So it's one thing to hear the Dharma, 
It's another to say, okay, I'm going to practice. And then understanding your particular temperament and gift really can put that, put your gift into, into practice and uh, give you passion for practice. This is a, a, a list for me of um, underlying our spiritual passion. Passion is not a word that's used a lot in Theravadan Buddhist teachings. You know. But it's there. I mean, look at the Buddha saying, I'm giving up the palace, I'm going on my quest, and I will not be deterred, starving himself, going through the greatest austerities, and then finally be, being abandoned by his cohorts all alone until finally, as the, the story goes, saying, I'm going to sit under that tree until I either become enlightened or die. That's pretty intense. <laughs> That's some passion for practice, right? So if you find yourself on fire, rejoice in that. And if you don't find yourself on fire, don't feel guilty, don't feel you've got to turn it up. This is not, I'm not going to share this with the, you know, to activate your comparing mind and say, oh, I'm such a wimp, I don't have it. We all are here because something has touched us deeply. So it's just accessing what it is that's touched us and then really delighting in that and, uh, and putting and activating it. So, the four idipadas. <clears throat> One is, oh, and the word idipada, you might be wondering, well, what does idipada mean anyway? Idi is uh, like the word siddhi in, uh, in Sanskrit. Idi is, uh, it means power. You know, somebody has siddhis, I-D-D-H-I, or siddhi, S-I-D-D-H-I. Power. Somebody has um, uh, amazing psychic powers, those are called cities or in Pali, idis. And pada is um, mm, what, uh, like a, a, a vehicle for it or a basis for it. So, idipada, basis of power or basis of success. So, the first is um, chanda idipada. The word chanda. Uh, means, uh, has a few different uh, definitions. It can mean a skillful urge to do, but it also um, can, uh, can mean zeal or enthusiasm. Some people are naturally enthusiastic. You know, let's go for the intensity when I was growing up, anything for a rush. Yeah, if it feel good, let's do it, right? And fortunately, I got intense about something that chilled me out a bit. But you might have a temperament like that. Maybe you don't, so this is not to grade yourself. But if you have a temperament that gets really into things, that really, 
that gets passionate about things naturally, just harnessing it and getting passionate about practice. You know, that was my first, when I first got into practice, that was the, f- the, the, the first question that I ever had, that I, I got enough courage to go up and, and speak to Joseph, who I was kind of like seeing, you know, on a pedestal about 10 feet high that first summer in 1974 when I heard the teachings. And, uh, and I was just, you know, so I fell in love with, with the Dharma and, you know, just that teacher. He seemed really amazing. And then uh, one day in this class, I was wearing my um, New York Knicks t-shirt. I was a season ticket holder to the New York Knicks in their glory years, and this is in the early 70s, the, if you're old enough to remember the days of you know, Dave DeBusher and Bill Bradley and Walt Frazier and those guys. Earl the Pearl Monroe was my favorite player for any basketball fans out there. And I was wearing my Knicks t-shirt and I realized I was wearing it in the middle of the meditation and all of a sudden this awful thought occurred to me. And I it was so disturbing, I went up to, to Joseph at the end and I said, excuse me, can I speak to you about something? And I said, um, I'm a season ticket holder to the New York Knicks. Uh, if I get into this, will I go to Madison Square Garden and just say, nice shot, Fraser. Good move, Havlicek. Because I don't know if I'm ready to <laughs> sign on for that. You know. It's true. You know. And he gave me the perfect answer. He said, you'll probably still be as into the game. You'll just get over a loss sooner. Yeah. I said, okay, I'm in. But that's, yeah, that, that's my personality. I, get, I can get intense about things. If that's yours, just get intense about practice. It's so, it can be so fascinating, you know, like I, I shared with you the last time about the wonder of it all, you know. Oh, yes. The, <laughs> this moment. Yeah. Uh, remembering an, another time I, I went into uh, an, an interview um, with, with Joseph and I had just kind of opened up this it was like a whole new level of practice that I hadn't... It, it was like opening up to Alice in Wonderland, going into Wonderland. And I went in and I said, I don't know what I've been doing the last five years, but this is like a whole different ball game. You know? It's just so amazing. And he said, um, oh yeah, I know what that's like. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Really? And then he leaned forward, I will not forget this, he leaned forward with this real sparkle in his eye. He said, yeah, and it's like we're just at the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) And he wasn't saying, oh, there's so much more to go, it's such a long trip, you know, you're gonna, it's so, you know, pack a lunch, you know, this is gonna be, he's saying, it's so exciting. It's so fascinating. And maybe you've touched that within yourself, how 
amazing it is when you pay attention to reality. It just keeps on revealing itself. If you have that kind of enthusiasm or excitement or, or passion in your temperament or for, for practice, let it be a real fuel and celebrate as, again, part of your good karma. How amazing that is. Second Itipada is called uh, Virya Itipada. And Virya is the word for uh, energy or effort. And Virya is, um, in this sense, as a basis of power, a basis of success, that you might have a temperament, maybe it's not, yeah, aren't we having fun and isn't this so wonderful like the first, but a willingness and capacity to endure, to go through whatever it takes because you've heard that call and nothing is going to deter you. Like the Buddha sitting under the tree or actually Sally, I think it was Sally, who mentioned it uh, in, uh, the other day in passing. And this is the, the quote from the Buddha from one of the suttas. Mm. The Buddha before as a, a bodhisattva saying, if the end is attainable by human effort, I will not rest or relax until it is attained. Let, my, let only my skin and sinews and bones remain. Let my flesh and blood dry up. I will not stop the course of my effort until I win that which may be won by human ability, human effort, human exertion. Wow. You don't have to wait for your bones to dry up or your <laughs> sinews to, to go. But there is something about the courage that we can sometimes touch that is even stronger than our doubts or our fears or our confusions that says... I'm going for it. And actually, we all have that to some extent because um, I think the odds are pretty high that you've probably encountered some challenges along the way that maybe you've said at some point, I don't know if this is worth it. But still, something has led you on. Isn't that amazing? Something that said, I'm still going for it. To celebrate that capacity inside. Virya idipada. Not to, to let the fear run the show. And that's one of the things that when we're practicing, when we're sitting, is, is such a gift. You know, not, not that you have to sit through pain all the time. There's a, a line between compassion and courage and we don't want to 
we don't want to go overboard and you know be a, a macho meditator to prove how tough we are but if we can little by little open up to the hard stuff it shows us that we have this capacity that we didn't even know was there that's amazing you know i i, I tell this story i love this story of um julia butterfly hill who's one of my uh real inspirations and who, who's become a friend I'm, I'm so happy to say she comes in uh and teaches sometimes at uh, at my joy course and uh, she shares this story when she's the one who went up to um uh up 200 feet up in uh, the old redwood tree uh, which was called luna and stayed there for two years uh, to keep the loggers from cutting it down and she'd never done anything like that before in her life. And she went up thinking she was going to go up for three weeks. And very ill-prepared. Just happening to go up um, during the most intense winter on record, El Nino of 1998. It was the big, probably the first time people were hearing about El Nino. And um, there she was on this, uh, I forget how big it was, four by six platform or some small platform, wooden platform, 200 feet up um, with very little protection. And this huge storm comes after a little while. And she's like holding on for dear life, not to get blown overboard. And she's saying, oh my God, please let me get through this. You know, please, you know. And she gets through it and she says, she prays to God, she says, God, let me know that I have the strength to go through this ordeal. She says that and in short order, another storm comes worse than the first. She makes it, somehow she makes it through and she prays again, please, this is going to be so hard. Let me know that I have the strength. Another one, worse, right? Each time, she, she, does, she said she did this about five times before she realized that she was granting her, getting her wish granted each time. She said, okay, I think I got the point. <laughs> but that's how we find out that we have the courage to go through our trials, by going through them and seeing, oh, wow, I made it. Maybe I'm stronger or braver than I thought. How else can you know that you have courage? Truly find out. A third idipada, besides Chanda and Virya, is called Vimamsa Idipada, V-I-M-A-M-S-A, Vimamsa Idipada. And the word Vimamsa um, is translated as investigation. But what this points to, what this source of inspiration or power or success is investigation into the way things are and seeing clearly the urgency 
and the precious opportunity that we have here that we don't want to go to waste. As the Buddha says, you know, he has this analogy, probably many of you are familiar with, we're like, uh, until we realize it, the possibilities of waking up, it's like we're, we're children in an attic playing with the toys, not realizing that the house is on fire. But then when you see, oh my goodness, this is the story here. You put down your toys and you start addressing the situation at hand. And this for Mamsa has uh, a few different points to it, which in the Tibetan teachings are quite familiar, uh, known as the four mind changers where you really see the story. One is seeing the preciousness of this human birth. This is said to be the best realm to wake up to of all the realms of existence, at least that are known to us or known to the Buddha, um, he said the human realm is the best of all. And there's different realms in the classical, there's six realms of existence. There's the lower realms, there's the, um, the hell realm and the hungry ghost realm and the animal realm. And then there's two above, and then there's the human realm and then there's the uh, Titan realm and the uh, uh, heaven realm, the heavenly realm. If you're in the higher realms, things are so good that you're just lolling about saying, oh, groovy, this is, I think I'll take this for the next thousand mahakalpas. You know? But you don't, you aren't, um, you aren't motivated to look for uh, a complete freedom. And if you're in the lower realms, it's really hard to find the opportunity, obviously, to practice. But the human realm has just the right balance between pain and pleasure, joy and sorrow, you know, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, that it has enough goodness that we can appreciate and, and, enjoy, and enjoy and also have the circumstances to hear and practice the Dharma and enough pain, enough suffering to wake us up out of our complacency. So it's extraordinarily rare and an incredible opportunity to have this precious human birth it's said there's, a, there's an image that uh, is given in the scriptures of a turtle surfacing once every hundred years and a wooden yoke, like a life preserver, on the surface of the ocean. And the odds of that turtle surfacing and coming up in that yoke are greater 
than being born a human. The first time I heard that, I said, oh, come on now, you know, <laughs> really, every hundred years, you know. But when you reflect on all the possibilities of being a sentient being, just on this planet, let alone other realms, here's a, a fact that, um, that has stayed with me ever since I read it. It was in uh, Wes's book, Wes Nisker's book, uh, I think it was in Buddha's Nature, to just try and emphasize. <clears throat> there are right now in your mouth more living organisms than there have been human beings since the beginning of time. <laughs> Try swallowing that. <laughs> That's just in your mouth. It doesn't include your stomach, or which there are more actually in your stomach. How many possible sentient beings and you're alive in this human body. Not only are you alive, but you have the circumstances good enough to not be in fear or danger and to somehow have the good karma, the, the amazing grace to be exposed to teachings and be able to practice them. Just extraordinary. So, precious human birth. Another of this Vamamsa is, um, and for the, one of the four mind changers, um, reflecting on impermanence and, and death. This is something that the Buddha said to reflect on every day. You will die this body is not beyond aging, sickness, and death. You're going to die. And everything near and dear to you, you will be separated from. Another of the reflections to think about every day. That impermanence is the fact of life that we miss, even though it's so obvious. I mean, you sit down and you say, okay, do things change? Yeah, things change. And by seeing it over and over and over and not just having it a thought, but truly embodying that, that can lead you all the way to awakening because then you realize there is no lasting, reliable happiness. That's not where real happiness can be found in changing experience. That holding on to changing experience is a setup for suffering, as Joseph quite uh, uh, pithily puts it. Holding on to changing experience is like holding on to a moving rope and getting rope burn. Remember when you were in gym 
You ever climb the ropes? And if you go down the rope real fast, <sighs> holding on to changing experience is rope burn. This is a problem. And once you see that, you're motivated to see what can be reliable. What is there that I can, I can open up to that will truly bring a happiness, a lasting happiness. So this reflecting on impermanence and on death, that your life is limited. You, you've come into a precious human birth and there's a finite number of days that you have to use this gift. What are, you know, like Mary Oliver says, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? Cultivate more greed, hatred, and delusion? You know? Maybe there's another possibility. Third of the, the mind changers in this Vamamsa is seeing the, the shortcomings of samsara the defects of samsara that again very much like like i've just been saying that as good as it gets it's not going to last and that the messages that we've been given about where happiness lies are really um not only misleading us but leading us into more suffering the 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 waking up from that is is something called samvega where you realize that the way most people are living our li- their lives is just this futile meaningless cycle yeah there's love there's beauty there's compassion all of those things but most people are seeing that thinking that happiness lies in just the places that will cause more suffering. That's what motivated the Buddha to teach. He said, he looked around, at first he didn't want to teach, and he looked around and he saw everybody wanting to be happy and doing just the things that lead to more suffering. That's what motivated him. Because they couldn't see through the defects of samsara. Now, I'm all in favor of celebrating all the goodness in life. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't see that it's very limited to put your treasures in things, you know, where moth and dust doth corrupt, as the Bible says, um, then you won't be motivated. But to see the defects of samsara, that's a great motivation, part of this vimamsa. And then the fourth is um, besides precious human birth, impermanence and death, defects of samsara, the fourth is understanding karma, is seeing that actions have consequences, is seeing that what you do now will either steer you into more suffering or more happiness. That every moment we're planting the seeds for one or the other, every single moment, if you act unskillfully, 
you're planting the seeds of suffering or sorrow in the moment that you act. The mind is very tight and tense and it suffers then. In the energy that comes back to you from others, in the likelihood that you will repeat that action, and when you look back on the action and you see, oh, I blew it that time, those are four manifestations of suffering from one unskillful action. The good news is when you act skillfully, when you speak or act or think thoughts that are coming from kindness, generosity, and clarity, wisdom, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, you are planting very powerful seeds of happiness in the moment that you are in the middle of that action, it feels good. The energy that comes back to you is one in kind, generally, that responds to the goodness that's come out. The likelihood of you repeating that is greater because you practice that habit. And when you look back on your good deeds, like it said in the Uh, in the Blessing Sutta, there's a feeling of uplift and joy. So every single moment, we're planting the seeds for more sorrow or more happiness and well-being. To see that shifts, changes your mind. It's a mind changer that says, I want to go in the right direction. So this is the Vimamsa Idipada, those four mind changers precious human birth, impermanence and death, reflecting on the defects of samsara, and karma, that actions have consequences. And now, the last of these idipadas is called citta idipada. And the word citta, C-I-T-T-A, means, uh, it's translated as probably, uh, most of you know, as Mind or heart, citta, sometimes heart, mind. And in this particular uh, use, in this basis of power, is a feeling that comes when your heart falls in love with the Dharma. When you've tasted the truth and it's so compelling that it's like a moth to a flame and nothing can stop you. Not because necessarily you've got the zeal or enthusiasm, but because you've been touched really deeply because you've fallen in love with this. I'll share with you one story I sometimes I'm told on retreats about my own understanding of this many years ago when I was practicing um, and I was wondering, practice was getting a little dry for me and uh, um, just sitting on my own in New York City in my apartment and Joseph heard that um, I asked him and he told me that Ramdas was was, uh, leading a, a class in New York, this is in 1975, and he said, I might 
I might like that because he knew that I, I come from a kind of bhakti um, devotional path before I got into Dharma, Buddha Dharma. And I went to Ramdas to see if, if, I, if it felt right for me to be there. And, um, and so he knew that I was into Buddhism. And then uh, he said, well, um, well, let me ask you, uh, what do you think of Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I said, I like Jesus. <laughs> he said, no, do you love Jesus? I said, well, you know, I love his teachings. I, I don't know if I love him the way you're, I, I sense you might think I, I should. It's just a very inspiring figure. And then he said, okay, um, how about Krishna? Do you love Krishna? I like Krishna. <laughs> just the expression of celebration and uh, beautiful, inspiring. I don't know if I love Krishna. And he said, well, what about God? Do you love God? And I said, well, you know, Ramdas, um, I was raised Jewish. And for me, although I had this spiritual longing, the idea of God was um, this, I think I had a, a big Bible picture book when I was little kid and the idea my image of god was this very big scary man with a big beard and a book and a pen and saying you're going to have a good day and you're going to have a lousy day and so i i you know i didn't really relate to the word i don't really relate to the word god i i think of it in terms of the dharma and he said uh, oh do you love the Dharma? And that one, I didn't have to hesitate. I said, oh yeah. He said, you sure? I said, yeah. And then he said, did you ever tell the Dharma you loved it? <laughs> I said, no, no. He said, well, go ahead, come on. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, just, just say, I love you, Dharma. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I'll say it with you. Could you say it and I'll say it. I said, okay. I felt like a complete jerk. <sighs> I love you, Dharma. <laughs> and he said, I love you, Dharma. And I, he said, keep on going. I love you, Dharma. And he said it. And after about, oh, four or five times, I just felt it once. I said, I love you, Dharma. And uh, with that, tears started coming down my face. And he said, oh, there's hope for you yet. Um, <laughs> and I ended up going to the, the class. And it's something that people in practice often don't connect or uh, acknowledge. Every one of us loves the Dharma in some way. Why would you give a month of your life to come here? And to really connect with that fuel, whatever it is that's inspiring you to be here and do this really challenging, profound work, you love the Dharma. Chitta idipada. And to really stay connected with that. And out of that comes your 
intention for practicing. Whether it's to find your own deep inner peace or to develop and awaken all the love and the goodness inside of you or in the deepest, most profound inspiration to share your own good fortune and goodness and love with everybody else for the benefit of all. To stay in touch with how much you love the Dharma and to realize how precious this opportunity is. Not to put pressure on yourself, still to come into the moment with a relaxed and interested and kind awareness, but to do it with a wholeheartedness that is in touch with the joyful responsibility of listening to your deepest longing inside. I'll close with uh, a favorite passage of mine from Shanti Deva about this miracle of awakening. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death. The treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. The tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life. The bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life. The cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated. The sun that dispels darkness. The butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. Let's sit for a moment. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.